whether they're telling me this or it just is inherently true, I've got to deal with this. This is Tim Benall of BenallofAmerica.com with another edition of BOA Audio Season 3. It is December 9th. Actually, we're a day late on the audio this week, but what are you going to do? It's been a crazy week here. Um, I don't even know where to begin. It's been a good week in so many ways, and it's been a terrible week in a lot of ways. Thankfully, the good stuff that's happening is just the beginning of something even better that is uh, about to begin, and the bad stuff is winding down, so they've crossed paths, I guess you could say, at this point. I will be telling you the good news soon. we got to hold off on that a little bit, but stay tuned to BenAllOfAmerica.com or a little program called Coast to Coast AM to find out more about what's going on with Benall. Only a matter of time when you're going to hear about this. The bad news, I may write about it on my blog. It's really trivial, it's nonsense, not even worth getting into, but I was briefly an anthropologist, and that's all I can say right now about that. I've got two inside jokes here at the beginning of the show. I don't know what the hell's going on, but it's fitting for this week's guest. He is the illustrious internet sensation that goes by the name of Jeremy Vaney. In all seriousness, he is a prolific esoteric pundit. I've heard about Jeremy Vaney quite a bit over the last year and a half or so. His star has been growing in the world of Esoterica for quite some time. I started to get the emails. you got to get Jeremy Vaney on your show. You should interview Jeremy Vaney. So one thing led to another, and Jeremy Vaney is here on the program. Who is Jeremy Vaney? We're going to talk all about that in the program. We're going to talk about where he came from, his amazing abduction story, his entry into the world of Esoterica, what he thinks of the paranormal world now that he's a part of it, but he also has sort of the whole abduction thing going on. We're going to find out about all the different stuff that Jeremy has going on. His book, his movie, his podcast series, his column for UFO Magazine. We're going to have a lot of laughs along the way. It's very loose. It's very freewheeling. You're going to get that sense as the interview gets rolling. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Jeremy Vaney, let me give you a little bit of background on him. Jeremy Vaney is a columnist for UFO Magazine, author of I Know Why the Aliens Don't Land, and producer of the feature documentary, no one's watching an alien abductee's story. Additionally, he is director of The Culture of Contact, an alien abductee-run film and arts conglomerate based in New York City, and host of two podcasts, The Culture of Contact and Book of Toth. He likes to cuddle and loves long walks on the beach. His words, not mine, folks. This is the bio that he sent in. His website is www.valians.com, V-A-L-I-E-N-S.com. Before we get rocking on the interview, I want to mention something awesome that Jeremy has done for the BOA franchise. This is not related to the super huge good news that I talked about earlier in the show. We're just brimming with good news here, I guess. Jeremy was kind enough to send me 
I think we have 22 left right now at the counting. 22 copies of his book, I Know Why the Aliens Don't Land. And we're tying it into what we like to call veiny mania at the BOA store. Here's how it works. You buy something from the BOA store. You go to banalofamerica.com, you'll see the button for the store. It's flashing the cool new BOA line of merchandise. You buy something from the store, you shoot me an email, you get on the Vaney Mania list, and you receive a free copy of Jeremy Vaney's book, I Know Why the Aliens Don't Land. So you're getting two things in one. You're getting something from the BOA store, and you're getting a free copy of Jeremy Vaney's book. You're helping out the BOA franchise, helping us pay the bills on the audio series, so the show can be freely available to people all over the place. Who do you have to thank for all this? Jeremy Vaney, folks. He's helping me out. Jeremy Vaney is awesome. He did this for BOA and the BOA audience. He is a true class act. Vaney Mania at the BOA store. Buy something. Send me an email that says Vaney Mania. You'll get a copy of Jeremy Vaney's book, I Know Why the Aliens Don't Land, for free from me. I'll send it out to you. I believe we have 22 copies left. That number will dwindle as people take advantage of this. We're going to have the information up at the BOA website probably Monday or Tuesday, depending on my schedule here as the week starts. So, act now while supplies last. It's Vaney Mania at BenAllOfAmerica.com. Without any further ado, let's rock and roll. This interview was recorded on November 14th, 2007. Jeremy Vaney talking about the culture of contact conglomerate on BOA Audio Season 3. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Banal of America Audio. We have a very special guest here with us this week. He's definitely one of the breakout stars of Esoterica in the last year or so. Uh, seems like all of a sudden I was hearing about Jeremy Vaney this and Jeremy Vaney that, and then I was seeing him everywhere. Um, so he's really become very prolific and exciting, and he's got a lot going on. He's got a lot to say. And a lot of people are talking about him in the world of Esoterica, especially online Esoterica. And a lot of people wanted me to get him on the show. So we have him here to talk about his abduction experience, his entry into the field of the Esoteric, and his impression on what's going on in that whole world. He's got a book called I Know Why the Aliens Don't Land. He's got a movie called No One's Watching, An Alien Abductee's Story. Uh, he's also the host of two podcasts, Culture of Contact podcast and the Book of Thoth podcast. And he writes for UFO Magazine, plus he's got a wildly popular blog. He's, he's everywhere. And uh, now he's on Banal of America Audio. So, Jeremy Vaney, welcome to the show. It's good to have you here. Tim, that wasn't enough intro for me. I think we need to redo that. But thank you. Thank you, one and all. Well, I do my best. <laughs> yeah, boy, I'm burnt out. You make me sound like I'm, I'm really doing stuff. I'm afraid I might have left out something, like a pop-up <laughs> thing or like uh, who knows what's going on, you know, CB radio program or something. <laughs> yeah, well, no, thank you definitely for having me on. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Oh, no problem, dude. Uh, like I said, I've heard all about Jeremy Vanny. A lot of people were talking about you this summer especially, and uh, it seems, like I said, I'm a breakout star in the past year or so, definitely, and uh, hopefully we can get into that. But before we do that, Let's talk about uh, who is Jeremy Vaney. Give us some of your bio, your background, you know, where you come from, and all that good stuff. Uh, well, let's see. I'm from Massachusetts originally, and I live in New York now. Um, professionally, my background is in television and writing and all that fun stuff. Um, but you're probably you probably wondering about the UFOs, huh? Uh, <laughs> it's really weird, you know. I, you're talking about me as a breakout star or something along those lines, and it's like, um, 
you know, people just sort of trust my story, which kind of freaks me out because I wouldn't trust my story. And there's not a whole lot of story there. Um, at least there wasn't up until a few years ago. Uh, and the more I listen to myself talk about it, the more I'm like, well, this is sort of neither here nor there. <laughs> like, I'm sort of becoming a skeptic about me. Um, but my, my story, uh, as it is, um, sort of revolves around eighth grade when I uh, was in Vermont or driving to Vermont through New Hampshire uh, with my mother and sister going to my grandparents' house. Um, and we're driving along this stretch of road, and I think it's actually, I went back with my mother, and it was actually, I've been saying Vermont, but it's actually New Hampshire. And it's um, it, fairly close to where Betty and Barney Hill saw their thing or had their big experience. Um, it, so it's basically, you know, typical late at night, desolate area, off in the distance, is this self-luminescent green object with porthole windows running down the center, red and blue blinking lights. It's just, um, it's sort of sitting in the air, tilted on its axis. The top half is spinning one way, the bottom half is spinning counter to it. And it's just doing that. Uh, and we drive by, and my mother remembers um, it being there long enough just to see, and then it shoots off, but that's not what happened. I remember clearly looking at it out the back window as we drove around a bend. She was just you know, pedals of metal. So from her perspective, that's what it would have looked like. Um, so we see this thing that is clearly, uh, you know, <laughs> something that doesn't belong in the sky. Um, and then we get to the grandparents' house and we're sort of, you know, excited and telling them that we saw this thing, but at the same time, we're afraid that they're going to make fun of us, but they don't make fun of us. Instead, they have on their coffee table the Time Life Mysteries uh, of the Unexplained one of those books, and it turns out her uncle had seen a UFO and had been sort of looking into this stuff as well. So it wasn't just seeing the UFO, it was that and then the synchronicity of uh, the grandparents, you know, not making fun of us but embracing it and all that, and it just seemed like a very planned event to my little eighth grader brain. Um, but And then, you know, I, I had a series of um, sort of first-person I would call them flashback-type dreams. Um, and I'd never had first-person dreams, I remember, um, before this. But they were just things like um, being taken from my bedroom, uh, you know, being paralyzed and, and something taking me, but I can't see what it is. It's behind me. And remembering reading in a Whitley Strieber book about how he brought his cat or tried to grab for his cat to bring into an experience that he would know that was real. And so remembering that as this is happening, I think grabbing for this John Lennon picture that's hanging over the TV and not being able to get it uh, to bring that into the experience. But And that's it. That's the little flashback, that. Or, you know, a giant triangular craft overhead, um, I mean, extremely vivid, uh, with a, you know, red throbbing light in the front. Um, and it's just me and my mother on this desolate road. And looking up and, tra and grabbing, you know, looking for stuff in the glove compartment to jot it down, <laughs> you know, to try to remember this thing, um, because we didn't have cameras, you know, with us at the time. Um, and then, you know, our entire car is lifted up into the craft, and as it's being lifted into the craft, this series of blue lights on the back of the thing sort of arc out, um, you know, and then the, the scene cuts to the car coming out of the craft, back on the road. We keep going, trying to, you know, my mom's like on autopilot. And I'm trying to get her to sort of wake up and realize that this is happening and, you know, the feeling of someone in the back seat, but I can't turn around to look, you know, that sort of thing. All first person, you know, 
could it be a dream? Could it be something else? I don't really know. But then when I was 15, something actually did walk into my bedroom. Uh, <laughs> and that, and I was awake for that. So, so that I remember. So, in the, this, basically what happened there was my bedroom door opens, um, and it makes a very specific, or you know, we don't live there anymore, but it used to make this thump sound when it opened, and I sat upright in bed, and I watched this shadowy person, couldn't make out features really, walk into my room and babble. I mean, I could hear it. I could see its head bobbing as if it were talking. Um, really, the only detail I could make out was that in its, I think it was its left hand, had some sort of, um, I would have said sword at the time because I was 15, but some sort of long, sharp object. Mm-hmm. And it was babbling at me. And I, and I actually said, Ma, what are you doing? Go back to sleep because she was the only person in the house at the time. And immediately, as soon as I said that, thought, this isn't your mother. You know what this is. And instead of dealing with it, I just lay back down and pull the cover over my eyes <laughs> because I was just scared out of my mind. And that was so that was that um, cut to a couple of weeks later. And my sister's home from college. And uh, same thing. Door opens. Same. The sound is what wakes me up. I hear the thump and I, you know, door creaks open. This time, nothing walks in, or I, I don't look. I actually, I look at the clock, and it's 4:37. I remember this, um, and I wrote it down at the time. Uh, so I look at the clock, and I'm scared out of my mind. And I'm thinking, for some reason, I'm thinking they're here for your sister. They're here for your sister. But I roll over. I'm like, I am not dealing with this. I roll over, and I face the wall, and uh, uh, you know, I'm just scared, like I said. And I decide, okay, you know, I make a little joke to myself. You know, it's not enough to check it out because of my sister. Like now I'm making a little joke. Well, I've got to pee anyway. So I try to get up and literally, you know, I, I, people talk about paralysis, but this wasn't that. This was like I, my will is moving one way to get out of bed and the, my muscles, <laughs> the entire musculature of me is moving the opposite way of my intent, like gluing me to the bed. Oh, weird. <laughs> yeah. And I, Sort of, I try not to freak out. Instead, again, in my little head, I'm making a little joke, and I'm like, well, if you're going to tell the kids at school this tomorrow, you better make sure it's not your sheets. So I try again, you know, with all my might. Can't do it. Uh, And that's really all I remember that, except I remember before um, my alarm went off in the morning, I had a dream, and the dream was that, that this had happened. The thing that had happened two weeks earlier was happening. Thing walks into my room, and... Yeah. And I start asking all of my friends, you know, my friend Bill, you know, hey, was that you? Was that you? Was that you? Knowing full well what the answer is. And the whole time that I'm having this dream, there's like almost some other entity in there, like, like sort of making fun of me and saying, look, just deal with this. You know, you know what this is. You know, it's ridiculous that you'd think that your friends were in your bedroom at night or that it was your mom or whatever. Yeah. Um, But again, you know, it's sort of like we're talking about dreams, neither here nor there. But as I started thinking about this stuff and being, you know, really scared <laughs> by it, um, I started just contextualizing other stuff that I remembered happening. Um, like I remember being a little kid and uh, playing in the street with my friend Todd and my sister and Todd's sister running up to us and they were all excited because they'd just seen some ship come out of the sky, a little probe come out of the bottom of it, go out about 15 feet, go back into the ship and the ship shot off. I mean, this was in the daylight. In Bridgewater, Massachusetts. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, you're a little kid. You don't think, oh, UFO spaceship or anything. It's just like kind of, oh, that's cool, you know, neat, whatever. I remember seeing a flaming object in the sky with a with another friend in Brockton. This would have been second grade. 
and just and I think a crossing guard too, and just seeing this thing. I mean, it looked like a plane on fire. And I went home and watched the news with my dad, and you know, expected to hear about this plane crash, and it was nothing. You know, it's neither here nor there. The first weird thing I remember ever was being two years old, no, three years old, and <laughs> seeing what looked like a parade on the street. I mean, it was a full-blown parade, and running. Uh, to get my mom and sister to come see this parade, and then there was nothing there, and I was really confused. Uh, you know, and on and on. There's all these little things that are esoteric, uh, UFO-related, whatever. Maybe uh, some of them apply and some of them don't. I don't know, but there's certainly, the more I look at it, the more there seems to be this sort of growing pattern of things in my life. And then, you know, eventually I finally just full-on saw these creatures or people or whatever, and um, they look exactly like what you hear. <laughs> you know, short gray guys. They were wearing tunics, which is strange to me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, what are we talking about here? But I just, I found it interesting in seeing them that I saw them as an adult. I didn't see them as a kid. And the whole sort of skeptical argument that, well, we're, we're just, um, we hear about this stuff in the media, and so we're, you know, abductees are making it up. Well, wouldn't it have made more sense that I would have made it up in high school, that that sort of in media influence would have happened as a kid? But no, it didn't happen that way. It was all these sort of shadowy things, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that's sort of the, the, the deep past of my stuff. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me, let me sort of like crystallize a question here so we can, we can have it like a diving off point, and that's... Um, you sort of laid out all this stuff that happened to you when you were younger and everything. At what point did you uh, go from, you know, oh, this weird stuff's happening to me to, like, trying to find out what actually was going on? Do you know what I mean? Like, at what point did you realize yeah. you had become an abductee? Well, it was, I mean, it was always an open question to me. I always thought I was, but I was just keeping the question open. I mean, I guess I sort of related to it that way um, all along. Uh, but always a question, you know, is, is is this because I never really did see an alien. I mean, I, I always said this to myself. If everything else turned out to be, uh, you know, paranoid fantasy or something, there was always that UFO in the eighth grade. You know, like yeah. that's why that's that's always going to be my anchor. Because <laughs> I, could, I could very well have just said, uh, made it out this way. I saw a UFO in the eighth grade and everything else happened as a result of that out of the paranoia that, you know, based on stuff I had read and seen on, on TV. I couldn't say that, except, like I said, I then saw these beings, and the first time um, was, again, a, a sort of weird mix of, of dream and reality that that was more real than, than anything. I mean, it was I was having this dream. Um, this is in New York. This is 99, maybe? 98, 99, somewhere in there. And... Um, yeah, it was just a normal dream, except I woke up into the dream, uh, and I became aware of myself in the dream, and I decided to ask one of the dream characters, you know, take advantage of the situation and ask my unconscious, am I really an abductee? Is this true? Yeah. You know, forget this dream that we're having here. <laughs> just, I know I'm awake. Tell me. And he tried to pretend like we were still dreaming and everything was cool. I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm awake, dude. Tell me. And so finally, this thing just sort of turned demonic and just kind of like grabbed my hand and said, you want to know the truth? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And plunged me into the wall, into this sort of gray ether, and I was scared out of my mind. And I woke up, I thought, into, but I actually woke up into another dream. And I kept waking up over and over into the same dream of me waking up in my bed at home and, you know, screaming from this nightmare of these aliens 
and my mother, you know, saying, Jer, what is it? And me going out. And the dream that kept happening over and over again, it was me in every form of myself possibly asking this question. So it was me as me. It was me as a girl, as a daughter to my mother asking. And I kept waking up over and over. And eventually, like, I would just sort of realize as I'm talking to my mother about this stuff that I'm still dreaming. And the second I, you know, realized I was still dreaming, boom, I'd wake up again into another dream. Weird. Yeah, weird. Now, on top, overlaid, this was, or underlaid, I guess, was this sort of breaking vision of what was actually taking place, which was me on a table being stared at by these gray beings. It was as if that were the truth. That was what was really going on. And all of this dream stuff was, I don't know, something they were doing, some cover yeah. thing. I'm not sure. And that was so animalistic, frightening. To I mean, I can't even, to say it was frightening, to say it was terrifying, just has no meaning. I mean, it was beyond... It's as if you know at that point you have a soul and these things can tear it apart. I mean, it, it was that kind of fright. And I jumped, you know, that experience or whatever it was ended, and I jumped out of my bed and I paced in the kitchen like an animal and eventually just went to bed on the couch. I wouldn't even go back into my room. And, you know, next morning one of my roommates came out and said, oh, I had a nightmare. <laughs> you know, I like, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I sure did. Uh, but then – are, am I going too fast? Because no, no, no. You're doing fine. You're doing okay. fine. Uh, I, I don't want to like jump in with a question because I feel like you're going to the answer. So uh, I'm just letting okay. you roll. So, so here, here's where it gets really interesting. So somewhere in 2000, at the end of 2000, beginning of 2001, unrelated to this, I mean, I won't get into why this happened, only because it'll. That's a whole other show. Uh, I would have to explain – I'm reading these books by Krishnamurti, and I guess I'd have to explain who Krishnamurti is and why it's relevant. But basically, uh, books essentially saying, look, if you want to know what truth is, you have to stop being the director. Essentially, you are thought, and if you want to see what's beyond thought, you've got to stop thought. You've got to die to yourself, essentially. Mm-hmm. And you've got to do it for the sake of doing it, because doing it with a motive in mind, even to find out what's beyond the veil – means that you're still directing. So I, I really finally got what he was saying, and I did it, you know, or not did it, however that, however you want to coin that. Yeah. Sitting on the couch in my living room, and the second that this happened, this sort of death of self, this energy, <laughs> and people have said it's kundalini energy or whatever, I don't know, but it just sort of welled up, and my head started spinning, not like the exorcist, but like doing an exercise. Mm-hmm. And it, this was, it felt totally natural, except of the fact of it. And the fact of it is like, you know, this shouldn't be happening. Like, it's not me doing this. Yeah. Um, and this evolved, this evolved into doing all these sort of yogic postures and all sorts of crazy crap, um, alongside the sort of psychic awakening and blah, 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 on and on. So this is happening in me. Um, and it's important to the story because when I first really saw them now full blown in the, you know, flesh and blood and it wasn't a dream, uh, it was in October 2001, and <laughs> I had this, uh, I had a, 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 oh, let's say a girlfriend at the time, uh, and... <laughs> I'm not sure what were... that means, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a long story. I'm sure that'll be in book number two. All right. But in any event, uh, we, uh, at the time, we were in the apartment I'm in now, but in a different bedroom, and I had a mattress on the floor. I didn't have a bed. Um, so you are living the high we... life. Yeah, I was really, yeah, yeah, this whole UFO thing is really paying off. Um, so we're asleep. I don't know what time it is, but we're asleep, and I'm facing her and facing the window, and I wake up, 
um, because light is pouring into the room from outside. And, you know, she's, she's out cold, but I'm, like, trying to look over her and sort of see out the window and see what the source of this is. And I don't see anything. And it's sort of this hazy, sort of diffuse but bright light. Um, so I say, screw it, you know. And I, I roll over. <laughs> and I roll over, and there are three gray guys standing over me. Um, again, like I said, tunics. No real distinguishing features uh, from each other physically that I can tell. You know, giant eyes, diminished mouth, blah, blah, blah. You've heard the description a million times. The only thing I can say is that at least the one closest to me seemed to exude a playfulness and had sort of a smirk and was sort of like, I don't know, it was sort of like, hey, you, you know, come with us, you know, kind of thing. Like, yeah. I don't know. They seem nice. They seem to not be robots the way some people say. They seem to be alive and they seem to be to exude a childlike naivete or something. But at the same time, even saying that and even knowing that as I'm looking at them, I am, again, animalistic response to this, just terrified and, and can't move. And the next thing I know, uh, and there's no transition here that I can recall, I'm standing, I'm still in my boxer shorts like I was in bed with, I'm standing in, um, well, it, I don't even know what it was. I mean, it was standing in a whole other place, but it was a, a nondescript room. It was dark with the exception of some unseen light source from above that was the same, emitting that same diffuse lighting that was outside my bedroom window. Mm -hmm. But in front of me, vertical from my view, you know, stretching out away from me, uh, is a row of tables with naked, seemingly unconscious humans on them. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. Well, and the one closest to me was an older blonde woman, maybe in her late 40s. Oh. And the three beings are standing around her, just like presenting, you know, like just <laughs> standing there like, yep, this is what we do, like show and tell kind of, you know. Not saying anything, and I'm and I think to myself, and now at this point, I you know there must have been some sedation process because uh, I'm not scared anymore, and I and I'm standing there, I'm thinking, why am I seeing this? And this female voice answers in my head because you've always wanted to remember what an abduction was like. <laughs> oh, weird! <laughs> this is crazy. So you know, who knows how the rest of that went? The next day, I remember remembering more of this because we I, I had a longer conversation with her this woman, I, and I know that I did, I just don't remember what all was said, because I didn't write it down, I let it go. I didn't want this to be real, you know, even though even though I'm in this, even though I'm writing books about it or whatever, when it happens, you don't want it to be real, you know, it's like, yeah. it, it's just frightening and just doesn't make sense. Uh, so I let it go, and I think, I justify it this way, I live in New York, you know, there's no way that a bright light was outside my window, and all of New York wasn't woken up by this, you know? Yeah. It just didn't happen. So couldn't have happened. So cut to uh, a couple of years later. I don't remember. I have it on my blog. Um, but I, I'm in bed now in the room that I'm in now, the bedroom that I'm in now. And again, woken up by, you know, bright light or whatever. And I think it's coming from outside my window, but it's not. So I don't know where this light's coming from. I roll over because uh, I'm facing the window. And I roll over and where my wall should be is the light. <laughs> So it's like a portal or something, you know? It's yeah. like this, just this bright, diffuse thing. Before I went to bed, that energy that I was talking about before that, that does these crazy, weird things um, started activating. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll let it play out and do whatever it wants to do. 
So what I ended up doing was pinching my nose as if I had a bloody nose, but I didn't have a bloody nose. And it's never done anything pedestrian like that before, but it was just doing that for a really long time. Yeah. So cut to now in the middle of this situation, and blood is running down the back of my throat. Ew. Yeah, and I think that, like, what happened was, when I, you know, whatever this energy is, although it didn't come about from aliens or anything like that, they certainly know about it and somehow used it or whatever to, like, cauterize my nose so that, you know, I wouldn't be a bloody mess when whatever this situation with this portal or whatever it was, uh, was happening. And I had even sort of forgotten about this, you know, happening until the next morning when I was talking to a roommate. Um, and suddenly, actually, my other nostril uh, started bleeding. <laughs> and that triggered it. And then I went, oh, my God. And then I just immediately remembered, you know, all of that. I don't remember anything else. I don't remember anything coming through the portal or being, you know, taken through it. Or, you know, and I'm saying portal. And I don't really know that it's a portal. Yeah. So just keep that in mind. But anyway, so, but remembering, you know, seeing that same quality of light where my wall should be as I'd seen outside. I then went, oh, I get it. The other situation was real. And now, once again, just like high school, you know, whether they're telling me this or it just is inherently true, I've got to deal with this, you know. Yeah. Now, have you ever thought maybe uh, could it have been an angel? No, well, I'm, just, I'm just teasing you. <laughs> <laughs> As a matter of fact, I have thought about that. I've been forced to think about that. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever been asked that before, but I, it's a question that popped into my head just now. But it was a serious question. <laughs> when all this was going on, did you ever look into, you know, uh, talking to like one of the experts, if you will, in, in abduction? Did you go to like a hypnotherapist or any sort of person where you could, you know, get this sort of down on paper, if you will, or down and, you know, where you could be like, I talked to Dr. So-and-so and here's here's what we said here. Did you go to any like experts or something like that to, to get this, you know, verified, if you will? As well, as the, yeah, the only person I went to, you know, this is where I, you're referencing, of course, my, my infamous keep being booted off of George Norrie's show for, <laughs> you know, where he asked me if this was all angels. Um, but, you know, and I tried to answer this very question, <laughs> and apparently didn't like the answer. But, yeah, in college, um, I was having a lot of trouble with this stuff, and um, I went to a school counselor, and she said, well, you seem to have a handle on your past and on your life, and I don't know what to do for you, so go see the head of a psych ward, basically, Oh, geez. At um, in Harvard, no, not Harvard, in Hartford, uh, Connecticut, um, so whatever that the big psych ward there is, I went and saw that, so I went and saw that guy, and he really wanted to know about my childhood sexual issues, not like molestation or anything like that, but he wanted to know about just my relationships with women and things like that, and it was like, but creepy, not like just normal... So you know, I'm telling him all of this stuff, and I uh, and I and I tell him about the you know the, you know abduction stuff, and and he's like, oh yeah, that's fascinating. Anyway, back to the time that you were you know in the shower with Stacy. I'm like, but wait a minute. I'm, I said, what about all this other the stuff that I came here for? And he said, well, that's just uh, hallucinations and misinterpretations. Anyway, and kept going. And so and but what was interesting was he did nail a bunch of issues in me. I thought personally, and so I felt like I should take into account what he was saying about dreams and hallucinations, except that he had such a will to disbelieve and to just brush it off that, that I couldn't really, that wasn't a good answer for me. And so I sort of kept searching around and my, my dad's uh, wife, um, I guess then girlfriend maybe, um, had actually knew some people who'd gone to the MIT conference, you know, on abductions, mm -hmm. you know, the big famous one there. And um, so she hooked me up with this hypnotherapist uh, who was an abductee herself. 
and she was very new agey and very, you know, healing crystals and the whole deal. And um, so whereas this guy had a will to not believe, she had too much of a will to believe, I thought. Yeah. Um, so I didn't really trust that. But anyway, I went through with it, and I, you know, was on her couch for a number of hours, but it only felt like minutes. And when I came out of it, the parts that I remember telling her, you know, trying to reimagine that scenario where the thing walks into my bedroom at 15, um, the things that I remember telling her didn't feel authentic. It felt like, and it felt like that as I was saying them, that I was just trying to come up with stuff to please her, but that they weren't real memories. Mm -hmm. But it also felt like, as I said, like I was under for a couple of minutes and I was actually out for hours. So that implies to me that I said a hell of a lot more that I don't remember. And when I came out of it, she offered me free therapy. <laughs> so, so I must have said something pretty fantastic, but I didn't, I never took her up on it. Not only did I not take her up on it, I never asked her what I said. I never, you know, in the intervening years ever thought to ask her what I said. It wasn't until I was on a radio show and they asked me, what did you say, that it dawned on me how weird it is that I didn't ask. So... I don't know if I was suggested not to even ask what I said. I, I don't even know. But anyway, if if anyone knows her name's Barbara Vacar and she's a uh, you know a shrink out of Massachusetts, I, I you know I, her phone number doesn't work. I can't get in touch with her anymore. So oh jeez, don't know where she is. But maybe you do. You live around there, yeah? I'll take a look. Something tells me you scared her out of the business. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But um, that's it. And now you know. Now that I'm you know Mr. Superstar, whatever you know, I'm thinking. You know, maybe I'll go to Bud Hopkins or, you know, something like that. Just the only way I would do it now is if it were in the context of doing a movie, you know? Yeah. Like, I would do it for footage, and then that would be – I don't know if that's disingenuous or what, or maybe it's just a, you know, sort of a coping mechanism on my part. Like, you know, well, I'm not really going to find all this scary, terrible stuff out. It's for a movie, you know? Uh, you're but, in the UFO business. It's perfectly natural. Ah, well, there you go. <laughs> so, all right, but you left kind of like a window of time open here between um, – you know, when you were 15 or so in high school and then in 99 when this stuff sort of started coming up again, was there stuff going on in those uh, intervening years? Um, there's nothing – no, there's nothing huge. All right. Nothing huge that I can say. There were times – I mean, there's other stuff, you know, that – there was a dream I had, and again, it's a it's a dream, <laughs> but it's that same familiar female voice. Um, and the dream is of seeing this giant sort of aquarium of things, and then suddenly, you know, it drains out and sludge comes in, and the voice comes on like a voiceover, you know, this woman talking to me about what we're doing to the earth and all this sort of stuff. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I mean, it's the same sort of crap that you always hear. Um, I did have another experience along those lines, but... Even stranger, I, yeah, I was in bed. This well, I guess this was ninety nine too. This was all around ninety nine two. Yeah. So what am I like? What, kind of what I'm trying to ask is like uh, was they there sort a dry of spell. Yeah. Yeah. There was yeah. like a reawakening type of thing that happened. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. Well, I guess the next question, really, the next logical question, would be, uh, what made you decide sort of to go from an experiencer into uh, sort of what you are now, which is more of like a person in the field, a personality, become more proactive, I guess you could say, in in talking about your experience. All these people have. I mean, I'm sure there's people uh, in the same situation that you are that don't tell anybody. So I guess right. what made you, you know, bring this story out to the public? Uh, well, I think I've always been more open about it with friends and stuff. Like, I hate being that guy in the room. You know, like, I'm not the guy who's like, hey, come, I'm an abductee. Come ask me questions because I'm insecure. You know, I'm not like one of those guys. But I'm certainly not afraid to, like, tell close friends about it and stuff like that. Um, so in that sense, uh, I've sort of been open to talking about it. But really, when I wrote the book, it was just like, I had just come off of a bunch of just genuine, hysterical and sad New York stories that all played well like a narrative. 
so I was going to write that, you know, and I thought, well, you can't write something that autobiographical and not write about aliens. It's like, it just seems like it's A, disingenuous in some way to myself, but also that's going to be the bread and butter. Like, I really thought, okay, I'll write this book and, and I'll make a ton of money, you know. <laughs> uh, but it doesn't work that way. Yeah. So, you know, I found out that out right away. Uh, so for all those people who, who, who think that, it's just not true. Um However, every project I've done since then is in full knowledge that I'm going to go broke. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so don't just think I'm in it for the money. I mean, yeah, originally, sure, but not now. Um, <laughs> well, at least you're honest. Yeah, yeah. And the culture of contact stuff, that was just like I had finally – I hadn't met abductees or anything like that in Massachusetts outside of that hypnotherapist. Um, so really just in the last few years has been the only time I've actually met people who – claim to have similar experiences, and we were all just sort of sitting around at the same time thinking, boy, there, there really hasn't been anything good in New York or on the East Coast, like a huge, uh, you know, conference yeah. type thing in quite some time, so let's do one, let's make it more like Lollapalooza, let's, you know, bring in music and art and all kinds of stuff and make it cool. Uh, and so, you know, I don't know, it, it just came about that way, and, and even that started off being... Um, like, let's, we don't even know why we're doing this. Let's just do it. And it ended up for me anyway, being just great to like, see these guys, you know, these old timers with these issues, you know, selling their abductee art and just seeing them smile about it. I know it sounds absolutely cheesy, but I don't know. There's something about that. That's like just gratifying to, to be able to like do that for somebody. So to me now that sort of stuff is more about that is more about just sort of being able to please people in some way. Yeah. I'm sure you've heard all this different uh, mainstream takes on the subject and why, you know, what you've experienced is not uh, alien abduction, you know. I'm sure you've heard all the great arguments from the skeptics and probably tried to, you know, uh, fit those around what happened to you. So have, obviously, um, I guess the question is, so have you tried that? Have you looked at the arguments against abduction and how do you think uh, they stack up to what's gone on in your life? Um, well, I've had one of those uh, sort of hallucinatory experiences, like a waking dream where, you know, it, well, it, it was a waking. You know, my, my mom comes into my room and tucks me in as she's going off to work, you know, like that mm -hmm. kind of thing. But as it was happening, you know, and I'm sitting there responding to her, as it's happening, in the back of my head I'm going, this isn't real. This isn't at all real. You know this is a dream. Total opposite of an abduction experience where I'm going – uh, this isn't a dream. You know what this is. This isn't a dream. Deal with it. Yeah. You know, it's the exact opposite thing. I don't know. I mean, I've never had just sleep paralysis, uh, so I don't know how that stacks up. But I would say that there's so much more to it than any one thing that a skeptic has come up with. And just taking myself out of the equation, you know, none of those arguments against abductions really has anything to do with the narrative structure that's coming forward. You know, like, I, I don't know. It just seems like there's there's such a huge uh, amount of <laughs> dialogue <laughs> to be happening uh, that, that makes sense, that makes logical sense, that, that isn't, you know, abstract, weird dream stuff, yeah. that it can't just be that, you know? It just doesn't make sense. I will say this. Can I just say this? Just sure. to shoot one for the skeptics. Of the people that I've met, who claim to be abductees or whatever, a good percentage of them, I think, are clearly delusional. Whether they're delusional because this is happening or because they're just nuts and and this is their, you know, their means of uh, dealing with it. I, I don't know, you know. 
but there are a lot of crazy people out there, you know, claiming this stuff. And so it is it is hard to differentiate the noise from the signal, I think. Yeah. And and based on all the experiences you've had, uh, what sort of conclusions have you come to about what's going on here? Um, well, I guess yeah, conclusions, huh? Well, I conclude this. Or, that, you know, what's your theory? Well, my theory is that, that these are beings that – uh, see from a point of view of oneness or see from a point of view of wholeness, they have an undivided consciousness in a way that we don't. We have, you know, the conscious and the unconscious and however many levels of each. And um, these beings don't have that. And so I feel like when they do something, well, I feel first of all this, that that on top of that, or, you know, because of that, they're psychically linked. They're psychic. Uh, they speak telepathically and there's no secrets. And I think that you've got to consider a race of people thinking that way are going to produce a science that reflects that. And so sometimes when we have these situations, like for instance, in my movie, you know, where I go to a mountain and I'm, you know, supposed to be looking for these lights in the sky and I do see one and I'm telling a story and I am into my story and I decide not to film it. But then I just, you know, the light grows brighter and brighter and brighter and I decide, okay, fine, I'm going to lift up my camera. And the second I do that, it winks out. You know, that seems like some beings decided to take their piece of technology and and buzz some guys on a mountaintop and waste everyone's tax dollars on that technology to do that. And it's kind of silly, you know, like that doesn't – we can't think that way, but but they would. <laughs> yeah. Their technology would reflect something that is subjectively or, you know, interactive, let's say, mm -hmm. in, in a way that, that our technology just, you know, isn't and we wouldn't understand. And I – just getting back to the fact of, you know, oneness consciousness, I think if any action that they make out of that point of view is going to get broken up along our psychological filters and also along our divide, our conscious-unconscious divide. And so if they do an action, right, if they do any one thing, part of that thing I think is going to be buried in our unconscious, the part that, that we can't comprehend consciously, yeah. uh, the part that we can comprehend consciously is going to be, uh, look sort of logical, but as a result of not being able to, to have access to the other part, it won't really make total sense. So I think, you know, the whole sort of silliness and charadeness of it is partly because uh, with our split consciousness, we can't really comprehend any one action that they're doing. <laughs> Does that make sense? No, I see what you're saying. We're only getting half the story because we can't really interpret it fully. Yeah. Yeah, we can't. It, it just doesn't come at us that way. It just doesn't. We just don't. Yeah, receive it in the way well, that they're doing. like how you know an animal might not know exactly what we're why you know why we're getting into the big car or something like that. You know, doesn't make any yeah, sense. Yeah. So I think when you say you know what are they doing? Well, I think if you draw this out to its logical conclusion, uh, oneness is oneness. And so if you're a being that sees from the point of view of oneness consciousness, and you have sentient beings like humans who have that capability. You know, it's the very thing that a Buddha, a Jesus, or whoever talks about throughout the ages, um, waking up, you know. Well, then it becomes your charge to wake them up because it's actually one waking oneself up. And I feel like at least in America um, and other Christian countries, we have this um, sense of a you know loving, caring God outside of us and you die and you go to heaven. Um, and even if you don't believe that, even if you're an atheist, you're still influenced by it, you know? Yeah. And, and I feel like yeah, that, that ain't it. <laughs> you know, there, there, you don't, 
if the thing that's least real about you is your sense of self, if that's the thing that has to go away to join oneness, then that sense of self is not going to be coddled. You see what I'm saying? So these things that look terrifying and look awful to even to me uh, might not be that. They might actually be more along the lines of you know the Zen master who smacks his student on the back of his on the back of the head to wake them up. You know. Yeah. And now you're sort of like in the UFO field nowadays, and a lot of people who um, have experiences as abductees or. Um, you know, this kind of also goes along the lines of, like, uh, you know, military-type people that speak out on UFOs or anyone who's sort of, like, from the fringe of the UFO field. They always sort of have a hard time getting into the field or uh, sort of stand to the side of the UFO field, the, the people who are in the main mix of ufology, if you will. I guess talk a little bit about that, your experience as an abductee and being a part of the UFO field but being an abductee, so you're always sort of held at arm's length. I don't, I don't know. Am I held at arm's length? You, you mean in terms of going to conferences and things like that? Yeah, I mean, like, in general, it seems like the UFO field, there's, there's like, the ufologists, but then when someone's an abductee, it's kind of like they're existing on a different sort of level, do you know what I mean? Not. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm only just now beginning to even understand what you're talking about, because I, I didn't, I guess I didn't feel that way. I mean, I haven't really been... You know, as a writer for UFO magazine, it's not like I even then was meeting people. You know, it's just like I yeah. just write. Uh, so really, going to the I went to the X conference this year, mm-hmm. and that was my only taste. I uh, you know I threw a conference, but I'd never been to one. Um, and so that was my first taste of it. And yeah, I mean it was a bunch of like disclosure people and whatever up on the stage and talking about all this stuff that's like. You know, me and the abductees are, like, looking at each other like, yeah, well, you know, no kidding. You know, like, wh- how do you have this and not have the very people that you're talking about up there? Yeah. Uh, because a lot of it was, you know, like Steve Bassett had said at some point, you know, you got to go out there and buy the abductee art and support them because they're, they're going to be the people everyone turns to when, you know, this thing finally comes out. It's like... Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, then why don't you have us on the stage, you know? And, yeah. and, I, and I've even emailed him and said, hey, look, I want to do a thing with uh, Jeff Ritzman, um, you know? Have us up. <laughs> have us do that. He hasn't gotten back to me yet, but maybe he will. To sort of rephrase the question in a lot of ways, just to maybe, I think you're kind of hitting on what I'm talking about, but maybe if I put it this way, you'll get it. Like, there's like your hardcore researchers, and they seem to think that they're um, separate from the whole thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're they're trying to remain unbiased, if you will, and they're looking at the UFO subject. But then with someone like you, uh, that's like inherently a part of you. That's your, you're an abductee, so that's part of your story. That's, you know, what what brings you into the whole thing. And so there's like, it's sort of like a separation there. Maybe you haven't experienced it, so maybe I'm wrong about that, but that seems to be the impression I get just from general ufology, if you will. Here's where I'm not understanding the question. So what are you saying is the the problem with the you see, with the interaction <laughs> between me and those and those people? I guess talk about what it's, what it's been like for you to get into the UFO field and if you've experienced that. I haven't really, I haven't really experienced any... Uh, snobbery <laughs> or uh, anything like that outside of sort of this ex-conference thing of just like, yeah, I mean, there is that element of people are talking about the thing that you are, and they're talking about it with an authority that isn't real. Uh, I guess if that's what you're getting at. Yeah, I mean, there's no right or wrong answer. It's just... Uh... <laughs> I mean, there, there is, yeah, I mean, there is that sense of, well, even, you know, I, Paul Kimball, uh, you're... you're pals with Paul, and I like Paul, I'm friends with Paul, but Paul Kimball is somebody who's outside of this and is very logical and very, you know, one note about that. And I I think on the one hand, something like that 
has its great benefits, which is that he is clear-headed and lucid and will come off well to the mainstream. The downside of that is that he will never understand that there's this esoteric aspect to it that is real. And it is real for the people that he interviews and the people that he finds to be authentic, but they will never tell him that because they understand that he will not want to hear that. So I think in that sense, there's a problem with with that, that type of uh, investigator where they're not going to get the whole story. And because they're not going to get the whole story, they're going to stick with um, you know, the sorts of things that they, um, theories that they already have or that they've heard from, say, a Bud Hopkins, who, you know, has his own shtick. <laughs> that's, that's not totally true. Maybe that's what you were getting at, right? The abduction researchers? Yeah, abduction researchers and experiencers. Because, okay, well, I mean, like, my... A, like my mystic, maybe like, a, like, uh, I'm thinking of like a, like a Charles Hall. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they have a great story. But uh, they sort of always are on the fringe of ufology because, you know, um, they're wrapped up in their story and the people in ufology are sort of like – I'm talking about like the nuts and bolts folks and stuff like that who are really well, – it's funny. it's funny because, because uh, I mean, isn't the whole thing fringe? I mean, I guess I don't feel like I'm on the fringe of fringe because <laughs> <laughs> um, it is what it is. But I, I would I, – yeah, maybe I'm answering it the wrong way, but I, I just feel like, um, yeah, there are certain things that – that they're not going to to get as a result of not being in this, but at the same time, you know, as far as your question goes about being on the fringe of the fringe, uh, no, I, I don't care. All right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that was a long way to say no, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I edit that all out and just go with no, I don't care. I'm, I'm sure I'll clean it up somehow, <laughs> but I didn't mean it. Like, I mean, I don't know. I thought the question kind of made sense, but I guess you maybe haven't experienced it, or I guess from your point of view, you don't see it. In the same way, because um, I'm neither. I'm like neither a hardcore ufologist or an abductee, so I'm kind of. Yeah, wondering. how did you get into this? Oh, geez. Well, hey, you can have me on Culture of Contact and all right. talk all about it. I'm the host, baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's talk about the film because uh, I just watched the movie last night and it was really different. I'd go so far as to call it artsy, and that that's uh, a compliment. Um, and it's very different from your standard abduction type movie. I mean, there's no talking heads or anything like that. It's really about you and your journey and the people around you, and of course, then this whole thing with with Olson in <laughs> in, yeah. in the mountains and stuff. I guess for starters, talk about uh, of course the films. No one's watching an alien abductee story, and uh, I guess just talk about what what made you want to make the movie in the first place, and um, your take as the director of it, because it's very different from your standard abduction type movie. Yeah, well, originally what happened was I, I was going out to the learning exchange, uh, sorry, the learn, yeah, learning exchange in, uh, I think Sacramento, California, and, uh, they were flying me out there to speak. So I was like, ah, well, I should tape this. And I, I got, um, you know, I used to work at Nickelodeon, so I have friends with cameras and stuff. And so I got a pretty good camera from a friend for free. I knew I was going to have it for a few weeks, and I thought, God, it would be a shame to have this stuff and not, you know, do something bigger with it. You know, what can I possibly do? <laughs> I was thinking, you know, what would I want to see if I were watching an incredibly cheap on-the-fly movie? I know. How about a documentary about a guy who, you know, thinks he's an alien abductee possessed by some energy with Michael Jackson and Hulk Hogan posters on his wall? You know, <laughs> you know that's the train wreck that I'd want to see. So I thought, okay, I'll do that. Uh, Mark Olson, I'd heard him on Dreamland and I guess got in contact with him maybe. 
don't really remember how that happened. I think I contacted him first um, just to see what was going on out there. And he invited me out. And he said, you know, bring a camera. Come on out. These things aren't going away. Nobody believes me. I've been to the cops. I've, you know, been to the media. Nobody cares. Uh, so I thought, well, he can't be lying, you know, or else he wouldn't invite me. <laughs> yeah. So I said, all right, I'll come. So I knew I had the ending of the film, basically, you know. Like I knew, all right, I'm going out there. I'm going to film these UFOs or not. Whatever happens out there is going to be spectacular, either spectacularly close encounters of the third kind or spectacularly odd in a human creepy sense. And yeah. <laughs> you just know with a situation like this, mm -hmm. that's what's going to happen, you know? So that's sort of how the, the movie gets started. And then and then once, once I sort of got on that tip, I thought, well, okay, it'd be kind of cool to sort of go back and interview friends and relatives. And, uh, you know, we've heard stories from abductees, but we haven't heard from their friends and relatives, really. You know, what do they think about all this? Yeah. Uh, and it turns out that they uh, either don't care or don't believe me. So that's, yeah, it was, that's the short end of that. <laughs> it was a different, it was a strange movie. It was different. Um, well, yeah, one thing that really stuck out to me in the movie, and it was sort of a question, and if you haven't seen the movie, people are going to be like, "What's this? what is this guy talking about? But I'm really confused by the girlfriend situation in the movie. It's really crazy, but in a good way, actually, because I was like, I was like riveted, because I'm like, what's going on here? This is crazy. So what's going on with that? Basically, when I started doing this, I thought what I wanted to do originally was do a giant Michael Moore stunt, and because, you know, it, I'm bored with my own story. It's not enough to just, you know, be an abductee. It's like, no, now I've got to, like, spice up the movie some other way, you know? Yeah. I thought I'd do this giant Michael Moore stunt. To me, what the movie is about is that what should be real in my life is fake, and what should be fake is real. And so that's sort of what that symbolized. It was uh, weird. I have never seen real. anything like it. I was, like, completely <laughs> baffled. <laughs> like I said, I was riveted by it in a, in a strange sort of way. But in the movie, you, you sort of like, and you've touched on this energy, uh, I call it an energy situation, um, this energy situation you have, which seems to take the form of you doing this Chinese meditation dance thing. I guess just talk about that and what happened with that. And even in the movie, you say you're not as interested in your abduction situation anymore as you are in this energy thing. Talk about what that's all about, because I find it pretty interesting, and, and the dancing is just bizarre. Well, it is bizarre. It's more bizarre because I'm just like this fat white guy. So it's like anytime you yeah. see a fat white guy doing something, moving, it's like disturbing. Uh, so there's that. So I know, you know, I know it looks goofy and dumpy, but it's like, what can I do? That's that's my body. Um, but in any event, yeah, it, it's uh, the reason that it's more interesting to me is because it's there. It's an ever-present thing, and it is not my will doing this, and I know that. Uh, and I can do it at the drop of a hat. It's not like I have to you know, set up candles and all this sort of stuff. Like, yeah. it just is ever-presently there, and I just let it do what it wants to do. And because that's true, um, I feel like it's solvable in a, or, or provable in a way. I feel like, you know, if someone were to, uh, ex you know, hook up whatever to my brain, they'd, they'd see this happening somehow. Um, whereas the UFO stuff is still neither here nor there in a way, you know? It's not something that I can, unless I can drag an alien back with me or something. Yeah. But I feel like this is more to the heart of the issue, you know, because this is, there's so much, um, it's such a spiritual issue, you know, which to me is, is more important or maybe as we're talking about oneness and all that, you know, maybe part of the, the truth of the whole, the whole shebang. Um, anyway, I feel like this gets more to the point of it. Um, it sort of, you know, exercises me in ways that I wouldn't normally do and don't care to. I mean, it cares about my body more than I do, and I feel like I'm getting all of this 
free stuff. It's like people take yoga lessons and they pay money for the stuff. And no, the truth is, if you just shut up your brain, this, ener this energy takes over and does all this crap that you pay money for. So save yourself a couple of bucks and just shut up for a minute. There you go. There you go. Now, have you tried to apply this meditation or anything else? Like, uh, can the uh, yogi inside you do anything of use, in a sense? You know, play the piano, cook a meal? <laughs> That's interesting. Um, no, I've never... You should try. I've never you tried that. The only thing I did try, well, as you saw in the film, was pick up a Tai Chi sword. Uh, just because I wanted to see if it would know what to do with it. And, you know, I guess it does. It Actually, I premiered this thing in New York, and... Um, Someone came up to me and said, you know, had a, handed me a card that said Tai Chi Master on it, you know, said, you know, who did you study under? Because clearly, you know, what you're doing it. I'm like, oh, that, don't you get it? <laughs> I didn't study under anybody. He's like, well, you must have read some books. I'm like, no, dude, this is just happening. Weird. It just is. Um, now, uh, something else I saw in the movie, and uh, some might call it the low light of the film, is the ass shot. Um, what, <laughs> made you, what made you decide to uh, bare your bottom for the film? Uh, <laughs> funny fat guy naked in a hot tub equals comedy. I don't know. You know, I'm just one of those people who, it, it sucks that I, I have, uh, you know, that I'm an abductee who has, for better or for worse, a sense of humor and likes to shock people and gross people out. I mean, all of these things don't go well together because it, it all sort of sounds like, well, then he's got to be a fraud or not serious. But it's actually both at the same time. And so, I don't know. So just in the film, like, I'm aware of what a fat white guy moving around or naked looks like, you know? And I I don't know. I just like that. I like that uncomfortable feeling of, you know, watching people be totally shocked by <laughs> that scene. It's quite a scene. It. it was, uh, I was like, what is going on here? Like I said, this movie, it's it's wild. It's a wild movie. It's definitely interesting. Um, I enjoyed it a lot in, in a strange way. It was, like, it, artsy is the best way I can put it. It's very artsy. The other thing that, that, like, actually, when I looked at that, when we were editing it, it didn't, I, I almost didn't keep it because it just seemed like shock value for the sake of shock value. Except then I realized the stuff that we're talking about in the tub sort of gets to the heart of the matter, except you can't really hear it because you're still in shock that of what you're looking at. Yeah, exactly. So it's like it cancels it out. And there's something about that that's appealing to me, and, and that's almost sort of abduction-like in a way, you know? Mm-hmm where you can't really get to the truth of it because it's just being blocked out by your sense of <laughs> what's going on around you. Yeah. Now, you've uh, you also touched on sort of like a big-picture issue here, and hopefully it won't be as confusing as the previous <laughs> big-picture question, um, and that's that you have a sense of humor, and a lot of people in the UFO field either don't have a sense of humor or, like, anti-sense of humor, and they're like, stop joking about this. What are your thoughts on that whole situation, and have you – experienced any sort of backlash from people who were like, you're too jokey, we need serious people, not jokey people. And uh, do, do you think that ufology kind of needs to have a better sense of humor and, and stop feeling so put upon? Yeah, well, yes, definitely to the last part. The first part, um, no, I, most people, I, I'm shocked by how abductees who see my film get it and really appreciate it and like the humor. I mean, I'm shocked by that. I figured they'd think like I'm selling them down the river, but they don't. Um, and the people who did seem to have a problem with it were, uh, well, Carol Rainey, for, <laughs> for instance, were people who are not abductees but, you know, research this stuff. Um, but, no, on the whole, I haven't received any of, you know, you're too jokey. People, I guess, kind of find it refreshing. I don't know. But, yeah, there there are a lot of sort of humorless people in this field. But, you know, why shouldn't they be? I mean, they're they're dealing in a subject that's, making them paranoid about everything for, yeah. you know, whether that's real or not. 
and they really feel like they're in on something that most of the world isn't in on, um, that most of the world scoffs at and laughs at. Not in the same way that I do, I don't think. Yeah. Um, in a derisive way. Yeah, I don't think that's really the magic formula to a sense of humor. And what do you think about present-day ufology and, and the UFO field um, as someone who's sort of just getting into it and who, um, you know, is just kind of becoming a part of it now? I'm sure you're seeing it and, 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 and you know, meeting a lot of people and hearing from a lot of people and hearing of a lot of people. What do you, what do you think of the state of ufology and where it's going and where it's been and all that good stuff? Well, I'm equally part um, pessimistic and optimistic, I guess. Where I'm optimistic is in the David Biedney's, um, Jeff Ritzman's of the world, and, um, you know, even Paul Kimball, um, you know, guys who seem level-headed, and at least two of those three are experiencers of this. Um, and they all do have, you know, a sense of humor and, and all of that, and I, I feel like they're sort of the future of this thing, <laughs> uh, I hope. Um, but where I'm pessimistic is that there's not enough of those guys. There's still... This sense of, well, everything's subjective, and so whatever you believe about anything is equally true, and, uh, you know, and we can't even call a hoax a hoax anymore. I mean, uh, you know, I I've sort of strained my relationships in going to the sex conference and actually seeing some of these guys speak who are the main guys, you know, like Stephen Greer, who gets up on the stage and is the only person up there who will not use a handheld mic. He refuses. He has to use a lapel mic so that he can gesticulate like uh, an infomercial salesman, <laughs> and he's talking about, I held a beautiful alien baby, it was beautiful, you know, I have footage of this, it was in a government facility, but I didn't bring it, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, oh, okay, you didn't bring that to the disclosure conference, you're holding an alien baby, it's like, this is just absoluticrous, as Mr. T would say, so it bothers me that those guys are on the main stage, um, and especially of a conference that that is about wanting the media to take this stuff seriously. Yeah. And, and the guys who do take this stuff seriously and are really of this uh, are, well, I just answered your question I didn't get before, are of the fringe, are the people pushed to the side. Uh, so, but I feel like they're gaining momentum. I feel like the days are numbered of the buffoon getting up there. And I feel like um, even on Monday, having you know, a bunch of uh, pilots and military people sort of get together and do that big press conference, and the Disclosure people weren't even a part of that? I mean, how shocking is that? You know, the people who are really working for Disclosure weren't a part of that. Yeah. Good! <laughs> yeah. I say, you know, like, uh, so maybe uh, some of these guys will get pushed to the side, and credible people will be able to step forward. Well, there you as go. Far, as far as, yeah, but as far as, like, you know, where we've been and where we're going and, and all that, uh, you know, it's time to just get rid of some of the it, – it's this. There, You don't really know who's not lying. I could be full crap. However, I've not produced evidence that's crappy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, I haven't given you fake photos, fake video footage, or Project Serpo. So, uh, I say – why don't? Why can't we get rid of those people? Why can't we not pay attention to Richard Doty? Why can't we stop with the Billy Meyer nonsense? Like just anything that's in question, don't bother because there's so much, you know, good stuff and things that are uh, decent and great testimonial from legitimate people or seemingly legitimate people that 
They don't need to do deal with that fringe stuff or, you know, any of the new age garbage that goes along with it. Let's just do away with that altogether and just get real about this. Well, let me turn that question around on you because you asked it as a rhetorical question, but let me ask you it as a question. Why, why do you think it is that we can't get rid of these types of people? I think because there is the sense of this as a religious quest. Uh, I, I think that's just it. Like, as much as we want this to be a science, it's, uh, there's that religious element of just belief. You know, yeah. what do you believe? I talk to people in, uh, you know, message rooms about this all the time, about, you know, Billy Meyer. It's like, how many times do you have to prove this guy a hoax? But then they, say, they come back and say, well, the people who are proving it to be a hoax aren't as nice as the re representative of Billy Meyer. <laughs> they come across as kind of mean bastards, you know, me included. Uh, so why should we trust you? It's like, well, this isn't hands across America. This is, you know, a study, <laughs> yeah. ostensibly. And so, uh, no, we don't need to be nice. We need to do away with hucksters where we see them. You know, showing me dinosaur photos and saying that you time traveled and took these. I'm sorry. I think that's grounds for dismissal. At some point, you've got to get off the fence and say, you know, this is total bunk. The question is, what do you think we should obviously – you think we should, and, and uh, you think we should get rid of these people, and, and you can kind of understand why it isn't happening. Uh, what do you suggest that we just freeze these people out and, and not give them the publicity, and and you know don't uh, just don't give them the time of day, pretty much? Yeah, stop giving them publicity, even if it sells magazines, UFO, my <laughs> my home away from home. And also, you know, maybe we need to form a committee. I've been talking to. I don't know if you're familiar with Daniel Brenton, but. Uh, He's sort of another peripheral guy in this, and uh, we've been talking about, gee, you know, maybe we need to form a little committee of, I don't know, a clique or something, you know, of and try to come up with, you know, Kimball's got the, the 10 best evidence uh, DVD. Well, let's come up with what's the best stuff or the best way to handle this. You know, maybe we come up with uh, some protocols or a constitution or something, I don't know, something to go by that you present to the UFO community and say, this is it. You know, we stick to this. And if you don't fall into this category, see ya. I don't know. I mean, maybe you need to do something like that. Yeah, that's interesting. I'd be, I'd be interested to see the reception that <laughs> something like that would get. Because then you always have the people that are in the gray area where, like, you know, you're not really sure what their deal is. Do you know what I mean? I mean, there's some people you can write off right away. And then there's some people that you know are pretty solid. But then there's a lot of people that are kind of in the middle where you're like, you know, well, where are we going to put Linda Moulton Howe? You know, or uh, something well, like that. I don't want to pick people. on Linda. I'm just throwing out a random name. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, or even, I mean, I, you know, I sort of got into this little argument with Biedney about um, about Don Schmidt. You know, Don Schmidt is somebody who I think has done some excellent research on Roswell and also lied about his background. So does the lying about his background cancel out the good research he's done? Exactly, so. yeah. That's what I'm asking. So I think there are people like that and Linda Moulton Howe. No, I mean, Linda Moulton Howe. She doesn't have any ill will, ill intent. You know, she's somebody who gets things wrong sometimes, like anybody else, but um, or maybe defends a case a little too long, you know, maybe. Um, but I, no, I don't think that that's grounds for dismissal. But if you're, if you're Richard Doty <laughs> and you're a guy who's like, I'm in the CIA and I, uh, you know, duped you guys, <laughs> and you see his name come up in a new case, then as the only person that, that the anonymous source of the case will talk to about this material or trusts, then you know that he probably is the anonymous source, and you know you probably don't deal with that case. You know, like I, It just seems like there are so many things that are just obvious that, that we don't pay attention to because we don't want to rule anything out. I think it's time we start ruling things out. 
it's an interesting line of thought. I'm, I'm intrigued by it. I just wonder how, how would you even implement something like that? Just because the ufology field is so fragmented and it's not even really like a uniform group anymore. MUFON's kind of on the way out and, uh, it's like everybody's in their own little cliques and, um, you know, fiefdoms and stuff like that. It's, I think it would be an interesting sort of idea to implement. Well, it'd almost be like what they did with the Skinwalker Ranch, which, you know, of course, there you have a millionaire who gathers together a sort of holistic group of people from different fields of interest to study this one ranch. Well, instead of, of course, we don't have a million dollars, unless, you know, Bigelow or somebody like that wants to fund this, but basically it would just have to be a loosely knit group of people from the various fields who decide to get together and do this. And what about uh, one of the big subjects we talk about here on the show, and you sort of fall into that category too, is young people in ufology. Uh, it seems like either there isn't enough of them or the trend is changing and people are sort of getting into it. That's kind of the impression I'm under. For a long time, it's been like there hasn't been enough young people, but in the last few years, it seems like it's getting better. What are your thoughts on young people in ufology? Obviously, we need more of them. We need more young people to take up this thing. Uh, why do you think it's not as popular as it, as it seems to be with, you know, the older crowd? Hmm. Well, I think part of it is that nothing has uh, come of it. You know, anytime you see a big, this is it, here it comes, uh, it never is it, and it never does come. I also think the X-Files uh, was a huge factor in it ever being popular in the first place, um, and that's off the air. <laughs> yeah. And so there it is. I mean, I just think people outgrew it. It's like anything else, uh, any other sort of fad. It sort of comes and goes in that way. Um, but also, I think older generations grew up with this being real in a way um, of, you know, flyovers in Washington, D.C., you know, and Project Blue Book and these sort of things that, that – uh, took it real, even as they dismissed it, you know, that was at the beginning of dismissing it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they at least took it real enough to be on TV, these Air Force people. They made it real enough to be on TV to dismiss it, whereas now they don't even do that anymore. You yeah, know? it's been dismissed. Yeah, it's dismissed. So I, I think that they're just of a different generation of people who really wanted to get to the heart of this. And now it's like, ah, eh, we already know. Plus, we're sort of, you know... We, we've got the internet now. It's like, oh, we know everything, you know? Just <laughs> yeah. like we were talking about subjectiveness. It's like, well, you can read anything on the internet and suddenly you, you know facts, you know? So there's no point in studying it. Whether those facts are real or not is a whole other question, but it's irrelevant because, you know, this is the information age and the important thing is just absorbing information. It doesn't matter what that information is. Uh, you kind of touched on it in a way, um, but I guess I, I kind of have a feeling on what your answer will be. What are your thoughts on what's going on in the last, you know, couple weeks here? Uh, uh, with this UFO disclosure movement that's really seemed to pick up steam with James Fox and Larry King and press conferences here and there and all this sort of insanity of uh, of disclosure and witnesses coming forward in the last, like, week or so? Well, it really depends on if how much of the media picks it up and makes it a story. I mean, news cycles are just so quick now. It's, like, hard to keep anything in the news cycle. Um, so I'm guessing it's just going to get buried like it always does. Yeah, that's kind of the feeling I have, especially uh, with it being sweeps period, too. I uh, kind of have a feeling that might have been a big part of why it's gotten a lot of juice. But it is interesting that, like, even with our culture of contact thing, we got nothing but positive mainstream press, which is shocking, you know? Yeah. Absolutely shocking. And even seeing the way Anderson Cooper and Larry King has treated this, you know, there does seem to be at least a change in the way the media is handling it to some extent. And that's good. So maybe... You know, 
in the long run, something good will come of it. I just don't think it's going to be immediate. And now you said you were down at the X conference. You said that was kind of like your first exposure really to the exopolitical type movement. And apparently you say it strained your relationships. It must be with your other ufologist type friends or something like that here on the home front. I guess talk a little bit about why you even went down to the X conference and what your impression was of the exopols aside from uh, your thoughts on, you know, trying to weed out the crazies. Uh, well, I went down there because uh, Bassett was kind enough to Steve Bassett was kind enough to come and speak at my thing, and um, you know, invited me. So, uh, so I went. <laughs> and my friend Melissa was um, going to have some art down there, so you know, we all got into a car and went down there, and it was fantastic in some sense. But now, what what is my take on what? The exopols, the exopolitical movement, and all that good stuff. That's sort of well, you know, it's really weird. It's weird. My my take is is that it's ironic because even at the disclosure conference they're not disclosing everything because they're up on stage saying one thing and this isn't true to a person but it it was true enough that it was creepy uh, you know late at night the bar you know you get a couple in you and they pull you in close and they say now I'm going to tell you the real truth you know it's like now I'm going to tell you the thing I never tell anybody and if you tell anybody this I'll deny it and then you know and again it's more like sort of esoteric stuff that you wouldn't necessarily want to have out there to a nuts and bolts crowd and I just I just wish that they all knew that they were all doing that because maybe if they knew that they would say something publicly about the stuff they say privately so I don't know that to me was kind of shocking but it was just cool to really be able to hang out with people you know yeah. like I didn't didn't care so much what was going up on the stage but at night to hang out with Nick Pope and just to be able to hang out with a dude you know and and talk about 9-11 or talk about you know his time and uh, British intelligence or any of this stuff is, like, fascinating to me, you know? Yeah. What kind of stuff were you hearing at the bar that was esoteric that stood in contrast to what you were seeing on the stage, as much as you want to, like, you know, share? Well, it's not even... I can't. I mean, it's That's fine. Stuff, that, stuff that I really can't, you know... Yeah. Maybe, maybe if these guys pass away, I'll... <laughs> nice. I'll look forward to that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'd be an asshole if I didn't ask, so... Yeah, yeah, no, I understand. Well, actually, you know, one thing is like, um, who was it? Uh, you don't have to tell me who said it. Well, it's Dick, <laughs> I'll, I'll just tell you, Dick Farley, uh, you know, I, I talked to him the day before um, he went on stage, and he, basically what he did was he w went on stage at the end of Sunday's day. They had a, a big panel discussion with as many people who stuck around as possible who, you know, partook in this. He was one of them. And... You know, he was telling me the day before at lunch about all these people he suspects are, you know, uh, FBI, and, well, whatever they are, FBI, yeah. CIA, whatever, government dupes. And so it was no surprise to me when he then launched into this rant on Sunday about about all of that stuff, really in front of the media that they were <laughs> trying to present such a credible case to. Um, so, you know, stuff like that where he, I guess, you know, outbursted with it is is – Fine, but he, but at lunch, you know, I don't know. Just some of these people come up to you and they start talking to you, and he was one of them. Like they know stuff, you know. Yeah. And they start talking to me about my work. Like I'm shocked by how many people read my column or know of me or whatever. Start talking to me about, you know, I really agree with what you're saying, and you're onto it. You know what it is or whatever. Uh, you know, trying to get you to talk, and they're listening to you in that way that one listens when. They're holding back something they at least think that they know and are judging your response whether or not they should tell you yeah, what it is. Or yeah. All of that sort of like shady crap, like I just have no time for it. It's like 
you know what, dude, you're a human being. You don't know anything about reptilian aliens. Like, none of that's true. You don't know anything about anything. You're just a guy who's read a bunch of books and maybe has some money. Like, in the end, that's it. You know, and I am that, too, except that I also have these odd experiences, <laughs> you know, that I can't fully make sense of. But basically, I mean, at the end of the day, we're still just poop-chucking monkeys trying to make sense of the world, and it scares me the amount of people on that stage that believe they have the world figured out, and it is such a square peg, round hole situation that I don't know why uh, they're, they must be out on, on leave, is all I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, when Alfred Weber gets up there and starts, you know, these are people I've never heard speak before, so I'm, like, all excited, you know? Mm-hmm. Like a little kid, I'm like, oh, Greer, oh, this is going to be great. I've heard about this guy. He'll be fantastic. You know, all my friends love him. Oh, Alfred Weber, oh, he's a huge name. You know, big blue. And then what does he say? He says, you know, the U.S. government took down the uh, towers during 9-11 using alien beam technology. Like, what? You know, well, maybe Dick Farley was right. Maybe you are an agent. Yeah, it makes you wonder what's going on there with the whole thing. Um, but then Stephen Bassett is such a nice, seemingly level-headed guy. Why does he have these people on his stage? I don't understand. Well, I, you know, I don't really because understand it myself. Money. They bring their own cachet of uh, what they deem to be credible backgrounds, too, you know. You can throw in that Carter administration stuff, and it sounds pretty, uh, pretty impressive. But you know, you got to leave some of the crazy shit at home because it's not going to help us at all. Well, where do you stand on this stuff? I mean, I don't want to be like you know. You got to bring me on your show. To- <laughs> I know, but I don't want to be bad mouthing these guys. And you're like, oh, but I love Stephen Greer. He's the truth. No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't have a problem with anybody. Uh, any of those guys. Weber was cool. He's been always cool with me. We got along great. I sat with him at the uh, the X conference too. He's an interesting cat. I think. Uh, my problem with the exopoles sometimes is that they just promise too much that never comes through. I think I hear, you know, it's always this next – it's like, you know, it's like being a Red Sox fan before they won the World Series. That's what it's like being in the UFO world, and, and the uh, the exopoles are like the diehard Red Sox fans because they're like, wait till next year. It's always wait till next year with the UFO crowd, and especially with the exopolitical type folks. It's always wait till next year. It's always, you know – this guy, there's going to be a breakthrough, you know. This relief pitcher is going to be the one that that fixes everything for the Sox. No, it just doesn't right. seem to happen. But, uh, you know, eventually, uh, like Paul and I had a long conversation about this. Uh, we had a baseball show last spring, and we talked about it at length. And eventually uh, there will be, a, there'll be a 2004 Red Sox version of ufology. But, you know, we're just going to have to have all the pieces in place at the right time. Well, maybe I, I feel more deeply, like, about it because – because this is my life, you know what I mean? Like, in a sense, they are talking about uh, things that apply to me, and if they're crazy or they're lying, um, you know, I don't know. It's uh, Maybe I have more of a stake in it, because that sounds all nice and rational, but, you know, as I'm listening to you say that, I'm thinking to myself, but really? It doesn't really bother you that, that he said that they used alien beam technology to take down buildings? Like, that would just... No, it doesn't bother me at all. to see that on stage, uh, really. Oh, no, it doesn't bother me at all. I don't have anything invested in, in uh, the truth about UFOs. I can see why you do, because, you know, you've had these experiences with, with the UFO knots, if you will. So, But, I mean, I'm the type of person... I find the people fascinating. So that Al- if that Alfred's going up there and saying that is like, wow, what's going on with Alfred? He believes this stuff. This is crazy. I gotta talk to him and see what, what, <laughs> what, what, where he's getting this information from, and you know why he thinks this, and does he think it's a bad idea to be saying it? You know, those are the kind of things I, I think. You know what I mean? I'm not, 
I'm always sort of trying to wonder. I'm trying to come up with the next question all the time. You know what I mean? Not right. not judging the information because that's uh, that's. So you're a better person than I am because. No, no, no. The first oh, question you, to him would be, "Are you insane?" Oh, no, no, no. I just, I would just lead with that. <laughs> I just find a nice way of saying it. Like, what do you say about the people who say you're insane? That way, <laughs> I take myself yeah, out of the equation. Yeah, so what do you say to critics who say? Exactly, because you know I don't want to get mixed up with that kind of thing. <laughs> So you got the book, you got the film, um, you put together the conference, uh, you're writing for UFO Magazine. What's it like being, uh, you know, a, a, a multimedia person and doing all these different things? And, and um, you know, sort of like what what do you look at for, for inspiration, I guess you'd say, in these different areas? Um, nothing. I mean, they just sort of come to me. I mean, I, you know, I'm a writer, and so it's easy for me to write. And, um I mean, that's it. Really, the hardest thing for me now is doing two podcasts. One is weekly, one is biweekly, and that is just eating up so much of my life um, that, I don't know, I'm probably going to burn out on that soon. But, no, as far as the other stuff goes, uh, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fine balancing it. I don't really have an inspiration other than uh, going to message boards. Really, when I talk to people on message boards online, it's uh, a lot of that ends up becoming the stuff that becomes columns and things like that. Well, you got to join up in the Benal message board already. Jesus. Yeah? You're missing right. out. The US of E.com. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Or just go to Benal of America. Right, click the forum button. You'll find it. Obviously, you've had these experiences all your life, and you sort of share them with your friends and your family. When you meet a new person, how, how do you gauge that sort of thing to tell them, like, what happened to you, and do you decide not to tell them, or is that person that just sort of, like, it comes out within the first 10 minutes, or is it like you have to sort of be very careful who you tell, that kind of thing? What's your situation with meeting people and telling them your, your elaborate story? Um, well, I generally don't unless they, you know, figure it out and ask about it, or, I mean, I'll, I'll lead people astray forever if I can. My, my own roommates didn't know about any of this stuff until... Well, even when I wrote the book, until they read it, you know, oh, wow. like they always knew I was sort of into UFOs or whatever, but they didn't know. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, and I, I will never lie to anybody, but if you know, I say I write for UFO magazine or I wrote a book about, you know, aliens or whatever, you know, I'll talk around it, but I won't say that I'm an abductee till the last minute. Yeah, I, mean, I really, I'd much rather somebody get to know me, and then it's a lot easier to. to to say he's crazy or not crazy if, uh, you know, if you've got to know him first. So. Exactly, exactly. Being me, I just spoke about myself in the third person. That makes me crazy. Who do you think you are, The Rock? <laughs> um, <laughs> now, are you thinking about doing another Culture of Contact festival? Yeah, we're going to do it annually. Again, talk about burnout. Yeah, we're trying to go bigger and better this year, um, get the art into an actual art gallery, and we want the centerpiece to be uh, and it probably will be the entire Andreessen family on the stage for the first time with Betty Andreessen's art in the art gallery. Um, and if we can pull Ray Fowler out of his home, uh, him as well, although that's going to be a harder sell because I know that he doesn't really want to speak publicly anymore. But uh, but that will be the centerpiece of it. And, and when you put together uh... – your podcast and stuff. How do you decide who you're gonna have on for guests and stuff like that? And um, where do you where do you like like to take the the, the shows? Um, well, when I do book a toast, I mean they sort of give me people, um, and that's sort of the deal that we have. So whoever they give me, I, I speak to. That's cool. Um, Culture contact. So far, I haven't had a problem yet. You know, getting guests. I just know enough people that kind of want to come on and do it. So. Um, 
in cultural contact is mostly, you know, it's going to be mostly abduction or UFO stuff, and Book of Toth will be all over the place, you know, in terms of subject matter. Yeah. Um, so, you know, whatever. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't reject anybody, I guess, if it's that sort of the question. I would talk to Greer. I would talk to Albert Weber. I would talk to anybody. Yeah, you got to. It's, uh, that's half the fun of having a show like this. Yeah. You're kind of like in the UFO field, but at the same time, there's also that whole separate group of, like, abductees, and they're kind of like their own little group of, of people. Would you say that, that you're in that – You're obviously you're in that whole, like, realm of people as well, right? I mean, is that their own little group, and they have their own conferences and stuff like that? Or do they sort of have to hang with the UFO folks? Um, yeah, no abductees, as far as I know. I mean, I don't know. I don't speak for abductees, really. But I just know the people I've met in New York. And, no, they don't have conference. I mean, Culture of Contact is their conference. You know, this is the first ever abductee-run um, UFO conference. So, you know, this is it. This is sort of what we've come together to do. How, how do they feel about that whole thing, sort of being marginalized in a way by being a part of the UFO field but on the side? You know what I mean? Like kind of like how I'm sure, you know, the cattle mutilation people might feel or the crop circle people might feel, you know, because they have their own thing. But because it's always lumped in with ufology, uh, they can't really stand alone. Um, I think they're more worried about being marginalized as human beings by everybody. Oh, jeez. Uh, well, no, I mean, it's true. I mean, I don't, I'm just being sarcastic. <laughs> I don't think they think in terms of, of ufology or any of that. Now, some of them don't even really follow it, you know? Yeah. Uh, they just are happy to have their artwork out there and be, you know, taken semi-seriously by Joe Public. I don't think they really have issues, political issues like that. What about artwork on your end? I, you, I've mentioned a lot of artwork from abductees. Have, have you delved into that whole realm of um, artistic, other than obviously your film and the book is technically kind of art, um, but, you know, with, with the paint and all that crap, have you, <laughs> have you done anything like that? Uh, no, I can draw a hand turkey. That's, that's about it. That's perfect for this time of year, though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, maybe I'll uh, activate the energy and see what happens, but no, I, I have no artistic bone in my body. I'm telling you, you got to activate that energy and then try to do something else. Like I know. I gotta like, it's like heroes. i got to like, have a superpower by the end of this. Exactly, but you're only using it to do meditation, but it's going to turn out that, you know, you can, uh, who knows? I'm excited to find out. <laughs> um <laughs> Well, I guess talk a little bit about, before we before we sort of wrap it up here, talk about the book, because uh, you neglected to send me that. You only sent me the film, so I don't... <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't ask me for the book. I'm just teasing you. No, I should have, obviously. I didn't know. I didn't realize. More free stuff. I, I know. I get it out of my bedroom. I said, I get it out of my bedroom. That'd be fantastic. Well, there you go. Send me the book, and then you're almost guaranteed a second follow-up appearance. But <laughs> talk about the book, and, and uh, obviously the book, I Know Why the Aliens Don't Land. I guess the obvious question should be, um, and I'm sure you get it, constantly is, um, why don't the aliens land? Let me ask you that. Well, it, it's the same thing we're talking about, oneness and separation. If, if the fact of humanity is that, on the whole, the thing we f find most true about ourselves is our sense of self, and that sense of self is not real, <laughs> then these beings who know that are not going to interact with it. And to come here and explain that to us does nothing for us, because unfortunately, this does get into the realm of spirituality, where it's an individual journey to take or not to to see this stuff. Um, and so no amount of explaining it is, is going to matter. And I don't think, you know, it's interesting because the, the person uh, who is least likely to believe that is in abductions, I think, is Bud Hopkins, maybe David Jacobs, but really Bud Hopkins. 
And yet, in his book, uh, written with Carol Rainey, Sight Unseen, I feel like they talk about things that really back that up in terms of, you know, talking about how these aliens um, do things and speak to us in ways that subvert the conscious and speak directly to the subconscious. I feel like that's exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's why they do that, dude. Not because they're malicious aliens that don't want to deal with us. It's because they literally can't deal with us on that level because that's not the most real part of us. The most real part of us is what's underneath. Exactly. That sounds interesting. Now, uh, what are your thoughts going forward here uh, as far as the UFO phenomenon goes? Do you think we're going to get an answer? You and I are pretty young. Uh, you're like in your early 30s, I think, and I'm uh, almost 30, as scary as that sounds. Um, <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on, on where this is going? Are you and I going to see an answer to this in our lifetime, or are we going to be, you know, hanging around at the conferences like the old folks that we see at the conferences nowadays? 2012, we all die. Really? Oh, no. Uh, no, but I don't really know where where it's going. I know that I've seen uh, – been shown visions of things that look an awful lot like an ice age coming and things like that. I don't know. I, uh, do we have a lot of time left, <laughs> you know, on Earth, all of us, to, to figure anything out? I don't know. I feel like not. But then we've been hearing that for decades, and we're still here. So maybe we will figure something out. But I, I don't really have a good answer for that. But you don't see, like, uh, well, if I talk to some people, they're going to say, you know, uh, there's an awakening happening, and and you know slowly but surely the UFO secret's getting out through these these drip drip disclosure things like you know this past week, and you know it's going to turn into a tidal wave, and soon there'll be disclosure and that kind of thing. That's you know where do you see that sort of thing happening? Are we still going to uh, you know we'll be felled by natural disaster before the aliens show up in the first place type of thing? Well, I think that that's all irrelevant. You know, I think disclosure and all that stuff is irrelevant. I don't think it works that way. I mean, again, that's like trying to make it logical and trying to bring it down to our level. And I think it's much deeper and, and richer, if you will, than than that. I don't, I don't think that there's much to disclose. I don't think that there are secret bases with aliens and government people shaking hands and all that crap. I mean, no, I don't believe. All right. I've sort of always likened this thing to like a generational type of thing also in that it's just going to get to the point where people sort of just accept it as fact without even having to have the answer spelled out for them in a way like um, as our generation grows up and then our kids and then their kids, eventually it'll just kind of like become a fact of the matter that, that they are out there or something like that. Do you think that's sort of possible? Yeah. Well, actually, you know, I think we've been at that stage for a little while. Uh, I feel like I mean, aren't we? Doesn't everyone pretty much, A, distrust their government ever since Nam and, and Kennedy, and B, think that the government and Air Force are lying about Roswell? So, you know, I feel like it's one of those things that has just bowled us over because we're just complacent, you know? It's like, it's like duh, they're, of course they're lying about this, and there's nothing that we can do about it, just like everything else we think they're lying about, so... Uh, who cares? You know, it goes into that, who cares, let's continue playing video games sort of thing. Do you think people should care? Yeah, I think it's 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 a pretty important question, you know, whether <laughs> there are higher beings here or other beings here. I don't know if they're higher, but other beings here than us, yeah, of course. Okay, well, let me extend that then to, like, the question I hear a lot from sort of like the mainstream folks, because, uh, like I said, I was at the X Conference 2, which was uh, in 04, maybe, or 05, and uh, the big question that really resonated with me was from one of the mainstream people at the press conference. And he said, you know, to sort of like turn around to the question I just asked you, uh, do, why should, pe you know, should people think it's important? Yes, yeah, so is your answer. 
um, how do we get people to understand that it is important? You know, that's kind of what he was saying, and, 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 you know, he was sort of saying also, you know, how is this, people only care about, you know, um, how is this going to affect the price of gas, or, you know, what, how does it affect me personally? How do we get the issue of UFOs and ufology and, and you know, extraterrestrial beings or whatever they are, um, how do we get that subject to resonate with, you know, Joe Sixpack? Um, I think by doing things, not to toot our own horns, but like culture of contact, which is make make it relevant, be able to just speak openly and naturally about it, and not, you know, sound like a douche, and, uh, <laughs> you know, like step one, um, get a real haircut and not sound like a douche. That's step one. Step two is, like, introduce music and, uh, you know, comedy and, um, you know, give it the John Stewart treatment. I think that's what resonates with people is... is you know, a healthy dose of, of uh, skepticism and cynicism, and but also the underlying theme of, oh, yeah, and this stuff's real. And the comedy comes from being pissed about the fact that no one's paying attention to the reality of it. You know, I, I think it's that whole John Stewart thing. That's sort of what we're into, right? Yeah. All right. Good answer. Good answer. How many bad haircuts have you seen in ufology? Oh. Is, it, is it time to give that up? I used to have long hair, and then I cut it like in May, and now I've become like the opposite. Now I'm now I'm like on that same level. You know what I mean? Like once I cut my hair, like the day the next day, I was thinking to myself, "These assholes in ufology need to get haircuts." I'm tired of this horseshit. Um. <laughs> and if all else fails, we just get some, you know, giant breasted, long legged women, and that's we could really use that. that in ufology. I mean, that's that's a given. That's a given. We need more good looking, sexy young women in the UFO world, which is what I've been pushing for a while now. So uh, we've covered a ton of stuff here. We kind of bounced all over the map, but it's been a good conversation and loose, really loose, but I, I really appreciate it. Uh, you remind me of uh, Kimball in a lot of ways. When we usually, when we do interviews, me and Kimball, it ends up kind of like this where uh, the, the questions kind of go out the window and they turn into this like freeform thing. What's next for you? What do you have on the plate? What's, uh, what's the agenda for Jeremy Vaney? What can we expect coming down the line from, uh, from you? Uh, well, hopefully book two, which is written and in the hands of a publisher um, who had actually heard that I was writing a book and asked me to see it. So hopefully something will come of that. If not, no book two. Um, <laughs> Culture of Contact next year, um, and we'll probably do some events throughout the year, smaller events. Um, but mostly I don't have anything really huge on on the agenda. I'm just sort of playing it by ear. Nice, nice. Sounds good. Um, so when do you think, uh, regarding the book, regarding the second book, when do you think that'll be around uh, sometime next year? I don't know. I'm I'm really, like, just so burnt out and stuff that if um, – I'll send it to a few other publishers if this one says no, and if they say no, I'll just put it out for free next year or something as, like, a whatever, <laughs> website or something. Like, I really don't care. I already know I'm not going to make money, so I might as well just, like, give it to you for free. Awesome, awesome. Sounds good. Um, well, like I said, Jeremy, I've had a great time talking to you. It's been all over the map, but we've covered a ton of stuff. I really appreciate your perspective. It's interesting to hear from someone who's an experiencer and who's also getting into the field and your thoughts on all that good stuff. Um, people, as I said, you're you're just a multimedia maniac, and people can get all kinds of stuff from you. You write for UFO Magazine, of course, uh, Culture of Contact podcast, and Book of Toth podcast, either one of those. Also, the book is I Know Why the Aliens Don't Land. The film is No One's Watching, an alien abductee story. And you can find all this sort of great information on Jeremy at valians.com, www.valiens.com. 
Jeremy, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's been great. That does it for this week's edition of BOA Audio. Huge, huge thanks to Jeremy Vaney for coming on the show. The website, of course, is www.valians.com, V-A-L-I-E-N-S.com. Of course, super duper uber huge thanks to Jeremy Vaney for his fantastic generosity. The donation of all these books, 22 at last count, all a part of Vaney Mania at Banal of America. Buy something from the BOA store, write to me, say, hey man, I heard about the Vaney Mania special, and I'll send you a copy for free of Jeremy Vaney's book, I Know Why the Aliens Don't Land. All this, courtesy of BOA and Jeremy Vaney. It's Vaney Mania at BenAllOfAmerica.com. Act now, wall supplies last. We'll have more information at the website very shortly. Moving right along, we're so late in the process this week, let's just skip right over BOA Audio listener feedback. If you want to be a part of it, if you want to get in ahead of the curve, send your emails to boaaudio at hotmail.com or go to the BOA website and click the contact button, either or, and then you'll be in the inbox for BOA Audio listener feedback. Huge thanks, as usual, go out to the fantastic BOA staff, Chiron, Leslie, Arlie, Joe V, and Tina Senna. Thank you so much for your help and support. Day after day, week in and week out, month after month, and it's now going on year after year with these folks. They are fantastic, and we would not be able to do what we do without their help. BenAllOfAmerica.com. Make it a part of your everyday search for esoteric news and opinion. I've already plugged the shit out of Vaney Mania, folks. This is a rare opportunity to get a free book plus stuff from the BOA store. I know some people are sort of on the fence, or they're putting it off, or there's some reason why they haven't bought something from the store. Your procrastination has paid off. I really shouldn't do this sort of thing, because then, you know, you're going to think that procrastination will benefit you somehow, but this time it does, because when you go to the BOA store and you buy something, you get a free copy of Jeremy Vaney's book, I Know Why the Aliens Don't Land, Offer Stands, As Supplies Last. We've got 22 books right now. We're going to have a counter on the BOA website very soon to let you know when the big deal is going to run out. Let's get down to business here and preview next week's show. Ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be, it's already in the best of BOA audio. One of the most frequently requested guests over the last two years finally arrives on BOA audio as we welcome the venerable Nick Pope former head of the British Ministry of Defense UFO Project. Nick is a superstar name in the world of esoterica. Anyone who has a passing interest in ufology knows Nick Pope. He is a massive, massive star in the world of the esoteric. He also brings a whole cachet of tremendous information from his time in the British Ministry of Defense, a fascinating perspective on what it's like to be in the UFO field from the government perspective, We're going to talk all about that. We're going to dig in deep to international ufology as usual. It is a tremendous interview, my friends, and it's next week on Banal of America Audio. I have heard countless interviews with Nick Pope over the years, so when I finally had the chance to sit down and talk to him myself, I had a boatload of new questions that I had not heard anyone ask him before. Yes, maybe some of these you've heard him ask before, 
but I'm telling you, there's a lot in there that I'd never heard brought up before, and I want to get these answers from Nick Pope on a whole plethora of topics. So definitely tune in next week. It's part of a triple bill of superstar names in the world of esoterica. Nick Pope is number one. The next two, of course, the Christmas special, and then a special guest to close out 2007. We'll get into that later on down the line. Next week, though, Nick Pope, former head of the British Ministry of Defense UFO Project, finally arrives on BOA Audio next week. And on that note, I got nothing left to say, my friends. I am so sorry that this episode has come at you so late in the process. For those of you who are the early birds, like to get the audio show on Saturday night or Sunday. Insanity reigns, I guess. I'll delve more into this some other time. For now, this is Tim Benall, thanking you for listening and signing off.